Apologies, everyone. The song said Peace Like a River, and I put up the Peace Like a River song that we usually sing. I didn't know there was another one. <laughs> I didn't even look at the hymnal. I just went, oh, Peace Like a River. I know that one. <laughs> Well, so with the insertion of my Dear Gina, she thought I was going to die for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Enough of it. No, never. Enough. I've actually heard a few people say, that's my favorite part. <laughs> that's scary. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Now that was the piece like a river I thought we were saying the words. I'm sorry. I know there. Hey, It's not time for that. There's no time for that. Well, there's a Oh. It's what? Oh, 
Oh, I see the difference now. Now I see. Okay, announcements. Uh, this afternoon from 3 to 4.30 is Circle in America Book and Film Club. Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man by Emmanuel Ocho is, Ocho is um, on tap. And in your weekly email, you have all the information about how to get in there. So come for this. Um, I know that we need some readers for October the third and fifth week and November the first and third weeks. And what other announcements are there? None. Okay. Cool. And let us say our unity statement. It's a great one. Hello. My computer's ignoring me. So then, let's say this together. We believe in our and our song of joy is on page 183 and it is i am the radiant light of god around here weeks ago and it's about Charles and Myrtle Fillmore and their life and um let's see it's written by um Hugh DeAndre I don't know if anybody knows him 
And it's titled, the book is Charles Fillmore. But the one thing that I've always kind of been curious is about Myrtle and about her feeling process. And I never really read very much about that. So I decided to uh, look it up in here. And I found some things. And also it told me about, I kind of like learning about the old days that Charles and Myrtle got married in 1882. And it was a really difficult time. And there was a lot of depression in areas because they had been mining in different areas and those mines would close up so people would have to leave and go other places. And it talks about how during this time, not only did Charles have problems with his leg and they had to wear, um, what do you call this? It's kind of like a metal splint that they wore in those days. And um, his leg was shorter than the other one, but he still got around really well. And he was somebody who sold goods or he also went into real estate. So depending on how work was in different towns in the Midwest, this was mainly about Colorado and Kansas City, they went different places. And they would live in tents or they would live in shacks. They didn't have very much, but they had each other. And then they had their boys. And during this time, Myrtle had always been sickly and ill. And um, it seemed like no matter where they lived, she did not get better. But Charles thought that maybe going up into the, the mountains or the hills of Colorado was actually better than Kansas City. So he wanted to take her up there and to spend time with her. So they took one of the boys and the other boy stayed in Kansas City and Grandma Fillmore came in to babysit him. So it was kind of hard with both um, Charles and Myrtle being sick. Um, and Myrtle just seemed to be getting worse all the time. She had been diagnosed in that day as an incipient tubercul tuberculosis. And now malaria was sapping her energy. And Myrtle actually, actually began to despair. Um, so she was young and she had many children. So and her health just was not good to even be able to take care of her children. So they went to Colorado, but her health continued to decline after her return to Kansas City. The tuberculosis became an active condition. The malaria, which she had contracted as a young woman, reoccurred with a violence. Myrtle had tried many doctors, many medicines, and none of them could help her anymore. And darkness seemed to envelop her. Charles was finding it very difficult still during this time, trying to find work, trying to support his young family. But when he moved back from Kansas City, he had a strange dream. Charles declared, an unseen voice said, follow me. And in that dream, I was led up and down the hilly streets of Kansas City. And my attention was called to localities I was familiar with. The presence stopped and said, you remember having a dream some years ago in which you were chosen the city and told you had work to do here. Now you are being reminded of that dream, the presence said, and also informed that the invisible power that has located you now will continue to be with you and aid you in the appointed work. He says, when he awoke, I remembered that I had had such a dream that I had forgotten about it. There is an old age tradition in both the East and the West that when a prophetic dream is repeated, the prophecy is of great consequence. And Charles accepted the importance of the sacred and second dream, and he decided to remain in Kansas City. 
At this time also, Myrtle had been given only six months to live. And just when there seemed no way to turn, a friend said to her in passing, why not try New Thought by Dr. Weeks? He was giving lectures all around and happened to be speaking in Kansas City in town. This friend said to her, I've heard him and I think you may get some help from him. So Murder and Charles attended the lecture of Dr. Weeks. And the year was 1886. Murder heard a message which illumined her darkness. One bright sentence uplifted her. And when she left the hall, she was walking on air into a new life, repeating the words, I am a child of God, and therefore I do not inherit sickness. I'm sure some of you have heard that because that stuck out to me. I don't know where I read it before, but I think throughout their writings, there's something about that and about the healing. So she continued from there and everywhere she went, she just felt uplifted. And she shared this with everybody she met. And she knew it was true. She could feel it in her dream. And she started to get better. She never wavered. It was taking time to be healed. But she never wavered. Her transformation was physical. And it was also mental and spiritual. She ensouled the truths which she recognized. And finally expressed them so fully that she gained the ability to heal. Through the next year, and it took a year, but she completely healed. And then after that, Charles kind of said, wow, maybe there's something going on here. <laughs> I don't know, because it takes me a while to catch up. But... Um, <laughs> he started believing this and what Myrtle was saying all the time and that she embodied the truth about healing and the message she'd been given. And um, he asked her about it and he became healed. He also had had a bad, a bad eye and he was going blind in an eye. And Myrtle and talking to him and my prayer time with him was able to heal that through God's help. So after that, many people started coming to her, young boys that had been blind from birth. Tuberculosis was a big thing back then, as was malaria, which she had had both and healed from. And she was able to give that gift to others. So that is something I don't know if other, other people knew about it, but that was my first um, time in getting to know a little bit more about Myrtle and Charles and the beginning of their life as a young couple and with their kids and how they healed each other and others. Thank you. Wow, thank you. Well done. Well done. Our meditation song today is Amazing Grace, which is on page 16 for on the screen, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I got the right song. Thank you. 
Today we will say the progressive Lord's Prayer, followed by the Alleluia. Our Creator, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, I am. I am thy kingdom come, I am thy will be done. I am on earth, we stand thy God in heaven. I am giving the spirit, daily bread to all. I am giving all life, even as I am also all life forgiven me. I am leading all people from temptation. I am delivering all people from error. For I am the kingdom, I am the power, and I am the glory of God, eternal, immortal manifestation. All this I am. I'm going to start different with my notes, you know, my rather extensive notes here. I start with, um, and I just want to say I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for a lot of things. These days, I'm grateful for my new job. I'm grateful for beautiful people in my world. I'm grateful for the fabulousness of fall, which we're going to talk about. And um, I am grateful for unity. I mentioned a couple times, you will talk a couple people so far this morning, that I had to attend mass this morning. Catholic mass. Okay, so I started my, my new job with the Catholic school. And no, I'm not required to attend mass on Sundays. 
generally speaking. We do that as a school on Wednesdays. And having a Catholic background, which I've talked about before, it's, it's okay. I can do that. I'm all right with that. I get to sing the songs. That's the most important thing. Um, and they're doing what they call pulpit talks. This month is their big month for fundraising. And so they have, you know, people come and they talk about the school and the wonderful things that we do. And part of that is that we're expected to attend a mass on this particular weekend. And I tried saying, oh, I can't. I speak at my own church the fourth Sunday. And I was told, well, you have six masses to choose from. <laughs> oh, okay. So, you know, about 5.14 last night, I remembered I was going to go to the five o'clock mass. So no, that didn't work. So I looked it up and there's a 10.30, so I'd be sitting in mass right now. Or there was a one o'clock Spanish mass. Maybe I would have tried that, except um, I also have my grandson today, one of those other things I am grateful for. And um, that wasn't going to work. So I attended mass at 8.30 this morning. And I attended Mass at St. Mary's because that's one of the uh, local parishes. And so that was acceptable. And I was grateful to see one of my seventh graders as altar server and to see one of my other seventh graders carry up the host and to see one of my eighth graders in full dress uniform. But that's because it earns her a free dress pass <laughs> on any day that is not a full dress mass day, um, as well as another of my sixth grade students. I mean, it was just wonderful to see them there and to realize how many of my students actually are um, of the Catholic faith, which I do believe is a beautiful faith if it works for you. Um, and what I told them in my interview, because somebody says, oh my gosh, would they have a problem knowing that you speak here? I said, no, actually, I was very open about that with my interview and they were totally okay with that. So I'm grateful for a lot of things. And this morning, oddly enough, I am grateful for mass. It was not how I really wanted to start my day. But it was a wonderful, wonderful thing to see all of the lovely young people outside of school. It was nice. All right, so back to today and what we're supposed to be talking about. So success is not the key to happiness. Happiness is the key to success. If you love what you are doing, you'll be successful, according to Albert Schweitzer. How many of us love what we do? Oh, God, I am so bad because I am once again loving what I do. And it is a beautiful thing. As John finally goes, do you realize that you have not come home and complained once? Like I know we are 17 days in and I'm not complaining. So life is good. Here it is September, right? We're actually at the tail end of September. It is the end of summer and the coming of autumn, otherwise known as fall. Um, my goats used to be a pretty clear indicator of the changing of the season. Anybody's been around farm animals, they may know what I'm talking about here. Okay. So, my goats, I used to raise goats in case you didn't know that. Cute little Nigerian dwarfs, they were adorable. And yes, I did milk them. It was great. It was a good life. Okay. And you'd get into this time of year, and it would seem like one day you walk out and they're all sleek and shiny and summer. And then you step out at four o'clock in the morning to milk those goats and all of a sudden they're fluffy. You're like, what happened? It's fall. They know. We may not realize it, but it is happening, people. That change in the year. My trees are what tell me now. They're not as speedy, shall we say, as the goats were. It's it's quite interesting as I'm waiting for them to like change colors and be beautiful. And it turns out that oak trees, the leaves just kind of one by one turn brown and fall off. So I'm thinking that I'm going to all of a sudden one day step outside and there's going to be no leaves left. And as I went around yesterday, picking the very best of the blackberries that I could find because it's that time of year too, okay? As we harvest all of the gloriousness that is out there, I'm walking around and I'm picking my bears. Well, okay, if we're honest, I rode my quad out to the back. 
And then I got off and I very gingerly tried to pick blackberries because those boogers, they hurt. And so I'm picking the berries. And as I am picking berries, I look around and realize that there are yellow maple leaves all curled up and on the ground. But there are green ones on my trees. So this is clearly a much more slow process for my trees, this changing of the seasons. This time of year to me is the perfect time of year. When people have asked about my favorite season, it's always been fall. And I could tell you that it's about the, uh, the wood smoke when people start to burn wood in the fireplace mm -hmm. and you step outside and you've got that smokiness on the air as well as the crispness. I love that. But really, it's all about the temperature. Okay. So how many of you have seen Miss Congeniality? The movie with Sandra Bullock, right? And you have the lovely Miss Rhode Island, and they ask her to describe her perfect date. And she says, That's a hard one. I'd have to say it's April 24th. It's not too hot, it's not too cold. All you need is a light sweater. <laughs> now, that to me is September. Okay. Here I am with my light sweater. I can go out the door in the morning with my light sweater on and it's just enough to keep me from being chilled. And then as it warms up in the afternoon, I can shed my light sweater and then in the evening I can go back to wearing my sweater. I can enjoy the crispness of the morning air, the heat of the afternoon sun, and then the beauty of the evening sunset. Fall is perfect. September, being fall, the beginning of fall, um, is the time of the year when many of us get back to work. I know for me, that's when we go back to work. That is if I ever stopped working, which is very, very seldom. However, for many of us, our kids are going back to school. We're wrapping up our vacations because most of us do our vacationing in the summertime as the fall hits and we're coming back from vacations and barbecues are winding down. You know, I don't know about your world, but Barbecues, for whatever reason, happen on Sundays at my house, and it's usually a man says, I'm making meat. My response is, what else are we having? And he says, I don't know, I'm making meat. Oh, and how many people are coming? <laughs> so the barbecues are winding down, and we're starting to settle in. We're starting to look around and think about what it is we can do inside instead of outside. It's a homecoming of sorts at this time of year. Arian from our fabulous book that we're using, this one right here, oh, right? Okay, so we are living in gratitude. So takes some time to give us some lessons on words. I like these parts, the lessons on words. So let's see, this month we have the word sept, right? In ancient Ireland and Scotland, was referred to referred to a clan or sub-clan or a time when clan or sub-clan members would gather together. As summer winds down and we reconnect with family, friends, co-workers, and that kind of thing after our busy summer, we engage in this season of coming together or this sect. In Latin, Septem means seven and refers to the seventh month of the year in the pre-Julian calendar. Does anybody remember the lesson on Julian calendars yeah. versus Gregorian calendars? Yeah. Okay, so this actually, we talked about that a couple months ago, if you've forgotten, I understand. Before the Julian calendar, there were other calendars, right? There are many calendars, there are calendars for all kinds of things. And the Latin word septem means seven and refer to the seventh month in the year in the pre-Julian calendar. So we may recall, as I said from our lesson, additionally, Rosh Hashanah, the celebration of the Jewish New Year, often takes place in September, which is the seventh month in the Hebrew calendar. So September is supposed to be the seventh month. That's what I get from that. Okay. And this time of reconnecting with others and settling into the next season is a natural opportunity to take inventory of our recent experiences and shift from learning 
to wisdom. One of the things that I asked my kids to do when we went back to school was I asked them to write a list of the things that they learned this summer. Many of them said nothing. They fully don't understand that we are learning in every minute of every day. And this is a this is a, a really great time of year to take that learning from the summer because we learn all kinds of things in the summer, like how not to roll over in our kayak, apparently. <laughs> Susan's really good at not rolling over in her kayak, from what I understand. Okay, that's a lesson. Some of us learn how to ride a quad for the first time. I got so much joy watching Miss Penny ride a quad around my property and get that mobility. That was glorious. These things that we learn, we can take that learning and transform it into wisdom. But first, let's, let's have another word lesson, okay? Learning is a noun. It means the acquisition of knowledge or skills through experience, study, or by being taught. Wisdom, also a noun, is the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Mm -hmm. So just taking those experiences and that knowledge and putting it together with good judgment, and then we have wisdom. To be wise is an adjective, having or showing experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Some of us have better judgment than others. I'm just going to put it that way. We've acquired new knowledge and skills, whether it be over the summer or at any point in our lives, we acquire new knowledge and skills. And then as we enter into autumn or the next season, we have the time to use those skills and that knowledge and gain experience to form judgment and have good judgment. In life, as in education, it is best to not recreate the wheel. The wheel, by the way, was created by the Sumerian people in the ancient civilizations. We may have improved upon it over the millennia. However, we have not recreated it. The wheel, it exists. We may have made it better, but we did not make it again. We did not reinvent it. It already exists, right? So as we shift from new learning to wisdom, we can borrow from those who have done the hard work of figuring out the pathways to wisdom. And so Arian mentions a couple of different books. And so we're going to mention those books as well. And some of those things, those wheels that already exist. Okay. And we're just going to use them and improve upon them for ourselves. So in his book, Essential Spirituality, which I can't believe I don't have this one already, Roger Walsh. MD and PhD identifies seven similar practices that world religions share to awaken the heart and mind to inner guidance and wisdom. You know, that peace inside you that knows everything, the inner wisdom, right? Where all of the wisdom of the universe and beyond resides with your spirit, your essence, your Christ, right? I think of it right here. Maybe for you it's here. I don't know but it, it's inside of us. So he describes these spiritual things as a spiritual map. And these are his seven pieces. And then I'm going to throw in my little tidbits with them. Okay. So first we're going to transform your motivation, reduce craving and find your soul's desire. When we find our purpose, our soul's desire, right? Our soul's calling, we're going to stop striving, craving and chasing unrealistic expectations. This is a constant conversation in my household as I love what I do and I love my life and I find joy in my little moments and my big moments. And I live with a man. And I don't know if it's all men or it's my man, but he struggles with that a lot. What is my purpose? Why am I here? What's going on? What's, you know, and how do I, how do I do this and how do I do that? And he's constantly looking for something out there that's going to define him as who he is and what he should be. And I'm like, dude, back up the truck. Okay, let's have a conversation. And we do again and again. And I love him because I can see what he wants. He's just not willing to look in the right place. He's just not there yet. So when we find our motivation, when we look in 
outside and what it is that our spirit and our soul is seeking and we find our purpose, we will stop searching for those unrealistic expectations. We're going to cultivate emotional wisdom, heal your heart, and learn to love. To me, this screams of forgiveness. Yep. Healing one's heart to me is all about forgiveness. And there is little else that can heal the heart more than com more completely than forgiveness. Forgiveness of others. And I've said it repeatedly, probably even more important, forgiveness of ourselves. We're going to live ethically. Feel good by doing good. Oh, I read that and I went, do good work in the world and return to me multiplied abundantly. Okay, so we're going to do good work so that it comes back to us. Concentrate and calm your mind. Meditate. That's how we connect. All right, we're going to awaken your spiritual intelligence, develop wisdom, and understand life. So don't simply exist in this space. Live in it fully. Have a life of experiences and share those experiences. Express spirit in action. Embrace generosity and the joy of service. Give and give freely, people. Give of your time, your talents, and your treasures. So we're still not recreating the wheel here. We got another book. We got another author. And this one, I, I have a confession when we're done with this particular piece. Stephen Covey has a book. It's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Turns out there's one for teens too. I kind of like that idea. And true confession here, I own two copies of said book and two copies of the workbook. <laughs> Stephen Covey defines this as a positive habit, defines a positive habit as the intersection of knowledge, skill, and desire. He identifies seven habits that highly effective people consistently use and has developed a system for the rest of us. And I haven't bothered to open the book. <laughs> Actually, what happened was I purchased them thinking that John and I could do book studies together and he's not a reader. <laughs> he does not enjoy books. And so I got really frustrated when I sat down and I opened up my book and he opened up YouTube. <laughs> Turns out he was looking for an audio version of the book. <laughs> but I was already angry and I set it aside and I haven't picked it up since because sometimes I'm petty. <laughs> I'm working on it but sometimes I'm petty. So these seven habits of, that Stephen Covey has talked to us about, we have be proactive, take initiative. Being with, begin with the end in mind. This is a big one for planning lessons and teaching. They got like whole books about it. Put first things first. Oh boy. You can't talk about what it is that you're gonna do. 10 years from now, if you haven't figured out what you're doing tomorrow. This is a hard conversation. Think win-win. How do we both get what we need? Seek to understand rather than be understood. All right, I don't know if it's in this book, but I know that my Catholic music book that I got from a nun when I was going to sing at my uncle's Catholic wedding and he wanted a specific song sung and I was not familiar with said song. I went to a bookstore. Yes, it was a Catholic <laughs> bookstore. And I said, I was looking for this song. I was looking for sheet music and the nun gave me her missile and showed me where this song was. And so I have it still. My that particular uncle, he's got, four children, the oldest one graduated this last year. Um, and that particular song has a line in it to seek to understand rather than be understood. We're going to have some synergy. We're gonna synergize. We're gonna create something larger than the sum of its parts. Creating is good. Sharpen the saw, commit to regular times of self-renewal. Sometimes the most important thing is about you. 
forgiving yourself, making time for yourself, healing yourself, sharpen your soul. Covey believes that these habits help us achieve a sense of unity and that through unity, we experience, he doesn't really mean our unity, but I'm just going with it because I like it. Um, we experience the best of the seven habits. Consistently applied, the habits foster clear focus. They can be applied to whatever is at the center of our lives. He writes, whatever is at the center of our lives will be the source of our security, guidance, wisdom, and power. Security and clear guidance bring true wisdom, and wisdom becomes the spark or catalyst to release the direct power, release and direct power. When these four factors are present together, harmonized and enlivened by each other, they create the great force of a noble personality. Not quite majestic, but noble personality. A balanced character, a beautifully integrated individual. I think I need to open the book because he sounds pretty good. I'm digging it. Okay, who's read them? I need to read. Okay. Maybe this is the time, but September has a time of renewal and a time to reconnect. It is time for me to open that up and uh, learn something. So our bodies have a type of wisdom as well. As the saying goes, pay attention to what your body is telling you. It does not lie. So Dr. Darren R. Wiseman, in his book, The Power of Infinite Love and Gratitude, identified that as we attend to the five basics of optimum health, we access more easily the power of infinite love and gratitude. We take care of ourselves and it's easier to have some gratitude. Gosh, I would think so. This means we attend to the quantity, quality, and frequency of drinking water, eating, resting, exercising. Those four, I was like, okay, yeah. Those are all key to health, right? And owning our own power. I had to actually take a look at that. Okay, so you let your body be the guide. So let's see, if you're thirsty, what are you going to do? Drink. Drink. If you're hungry, what are you going to do? If you're tired, what do you do? Oh, there you go, some resting. You're going to move that body with some exercise, right? I don't care how little exercise because some of us don't exercise very much. It's okay. But your power, what is it that it is your power that you must attend to with the quantity and the quality and all of that? Anybody have any thoughts on that? Your power. Okay, so meditation, connecting to yourself and who you are. Any other thoughts? Things that, just things, that, things that make you laugh. Ooh, things that make you laugh. There you go. Okay. When I looked into it, your power was your self-esteem, your confidence, your inner strength, and your belief in yourself. I'm going to be honest. Those are things that I have struggled with for the vast majority of my life. Say it again. Self-confidence, self-esteem, inner strength, and belief in yourself. That is your power, your personal power. And so part of this meeting your physical needs, your physical health, involves also meeting the needs of your personal power, keeping that power and not giving it away. You're going to say positive things and not negative things. I do that all day long. I'm so dumb. No. These are not things that are said in my classroom. This is unacceptable behavior. You are smart. I am. You are smart. <laughs> Repeat after me. You are smart. I am smart. All right. We build self-esteem and self-confidence and inner strength in our kids these days. Sometimes too much. <laughs> Some of our kids are crazy with how much they love themselves. And I hate to say that that's a bad thing, but they do it to the detriment of others, which kind of goes a little, that's not positive. I'm rambling now. So where does gratitude come into play? <laughs> It has been well documented that the daily practice of gratitude increases health and well-being. 
Genuine expression of gratitude reduces stress, develops positive attitudes, and performs and performance, strengthens the immune system, and increases our experiences of joy and happiness. Practicing gratitude does all of that. And notice I keep saying practicing gratitude. Because as in so many things in our lives, we have to continue to practice it because it doesn't just come naturally for most of us. Mike Robbins, a sports coach and author, has found that when appreciation is expressed genuinely, spontaneously, and often, performance, self-confidence, and well-being all increase. So, as if we need any more reason to practice our gratitude, the September benefit of gratitude practice, as written in our fabulous text, uh, says Dr. John DeMartini, no, John DeMartini, there we go, discovered that the more people count their blessings and give gratitude, which I did have the little song go did it did in my head about counting blessings. Thank you, Joyce. The more their health and sense of well-being increase. He developed the Demartini method, derived from quantum physics, which neutralizes emotional charges and brings balance to both mind and body. This is intriguing. The process involves a predetermined set of questions and actions surrounding gratitude and blessings that allows us to break through the new levels to new levels of inspiration, creativity, performance, and health. Spend the time between now and when we meet again in gratitude, counting your blessings and offering gratitude for them. Notice the benefits and you derive as a result and how opening to gratitude and wisdom fosters even more appreciation. I can tell you right now, I got like three more books on my reading list from this month. I don't know how I'm going to keep up, but I must find them. That's my point. Please join me as I have done some minor, minor rewrites to the serenity prayer for us today for our meditation. So take a moment. So then we'll get comfy. So thank you for the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Thank you for the courage to change the things I can. And thank you for the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that all things are in divine order, just as they should be that I have the potential to be happy in this earthly existence and in the next. Amen. I was going to say for all of us. <laughs> right, it's time for our offering. We want to thank everyone who has donated to Unity by Mail. We continue to appreciate any checks sent to the church at 800 South Pearl Street, Centralia 98531. You can also donate on our website at unityofcentralia.net. We also thank you for all the ways you give of your time and talent. Let's say our offering prayer together as we hold our offering in our hands and hearts. Divine love, through me, and multiplies all that I have, all that I do, all that I need to, all that I am. Thank you. 